Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henricus, Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am popping on for just a minute to tell you about a great event coming up. On May 18th through May 21st, Sisters in Crime is hosting an auction, an online auction to benefit the Innocence Project. This is part of Stephanie Gale, the immediate past president's project. She wanted to raise $35,000 in honor of Sisters in Crime's 35th anniversary to benefit the Innocence Project. And she and a team of terrific volunteers have gathered some really wonderful things in the auction. If you're a writer, there are query letters and meetings with agents. If you're a fan and a reader, so many people have offered to come into a book group um, online, including uh, Deanna Rayburn and uh, Maddie Day and others. There's also several naming opportunities, including Michael Connolly's newest novel, which will be out in November. Uh, the Vera Trenchcoat is up for auction and a bunch of other really terrific items. Perfect gifts for folks. So, Again, it's May 18th through May 21st. You can go to Sync for Justice, S-I-N-C, number four, justice.com. I'll put that in the show notes. And it's for a great cause. So please check out the auction site. Hello, it's Julie Henricus, Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Susanna Hopkins to the podcast this week. Susanna writes award-winning historical fiction, including the Lucy Campion mystery set in 17th century London and the Speakeasy murder set in 1920 Chicago. Her books have been nominated for the Agatha, Mary Higgins Clark, Anthony McCavity and Lefty Award for Best Historical. She holds a PhD in Early Modern English History and is currently a university administrator. She grew up in Philadelphia and lives in the Chicago area with her husband and two sons. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jolie. Thanks for having me. So great to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you and um, and be able to talk to you about your writing, um, especially I love talking to people who write historical fiction because that is so much work. <laughs> 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 but let's start where I always start with these conversations. Uh, when did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? You know, I, I think when I was a kid, I was definitely like always writing like little short stories and telling myself stories and and I think I had this sort of vague dream, like, I'm going to write a book one day. And, and in fact, I think in my uh, uh, my high school yearbook, you know, you have to put a little aspiration in there. I was like, uh, I'm going to be a, a, a neurosurgeon, a best-selling novelist, and to be remembered when I'm dead. And that was my whole, like, what wow. my plans were. But um <laughs> Yeah, I haven't achieved any. Well, who knows about the last one, but <laughs> not that selling, not a neurosurgeon, although I work in a medical school now. <laughs> so, you know, I'll claim a little of it. Right. But I definitely did not feel, um, once I actually, uh, sadly, when I went to college, I got the creativity kind of just beaten out of me 
I felt like, and I was not writing at all, except for like for our school paper, but no fiction. And that aspiration of writing a novel just went out the window. <laughs> did you, so did you take creative writing in college? How did it get beaten out of you? Because that's something a lot of people talk about. Um, and I could share stories about that as well, but about serious MFA students who didn't love that I wrote funny or <laughs> genre. So um, how did it happen with you? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was in high school, I was able to take like a summer class at our local community college, like a creative writing class. And that was actually pretty fun. I felt like I learned a lot and it was just, I got to do like any kind of writing I wanted, you know, it was not for credit, high school class, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, in, in college, it was just, I think my very first English assignment for an actual, like a literature class, not creative writing. Um, they asked me to, you know, we had, we were analyzing a text or something and I didn't really know how to do that. So I just wrote this whole like story about like some symbol of the, and I remember like the English professor took me aside because it was not a creative writing class. And he's like, so that was, that was very interesting piece of writing, but next time you have to write an actual essay. And I'm like, oh, an essay, what's that? <laughs> and um, so and he was actually very kind. He wasn't like, you know, saying don't ever write again. He didn't do that, but it was just like all, like any kind of writing that just felt like slightly creative when I was writing like you know as it came to be like history papers and things like that it was I was like no no you have to write in this method and, mm -hmm. and so I just stopped finding in, and I didn't write I mean I was still keeping a journal but I was not writing for fun um and you know it was just all academic writing and then I did go to grad school and the first couple of years of that was just stress and writing historical you know pieces and you know academic yeah. pieces um, and that was like, okay, <laughs> I just did that for a while. And I was like, I don't even know how to write creatively any longer. So yeah, it just felt like it just, creativity was just not really encouraged in me, like when you're writing papers for school. Right. And a PhD, I mean, that's a lot of, a long yeah. time of not writing creatively. <laughs> yeah. um, creatively, that was, I almost made a new word. Um <laughs> So when did you come back to sort of thinking, huh, I'd like to write fiction? Yeah. So, you know, I was, so I was started studying um, early modern British history. And then when I was still working on my master's thesis, I, I was always interested in murder. Like I really was, <laughs> you know, I did read a lot of, you know, novels, you know, when I was a kid and mysteries and Agatha Christie and all that. Um, but I started, um, I started studying um, for my master's like thesis, um, Domestic patterns of homicide in 17th century England, you know, how men and women murdered differently. And I was looking at the tools of the trade and I was studying wow. the, the documents of the day, which was sort of this tabloid press, um, you know, it was early modern writing. So that's how they sort of disseminated their news. It was both like half sensationalized, half true. I always think of it like tabloids, like the star or the Enquirer, yeah. you know, there's and so that's what I was studying and, you know, I was reading and then people, and also what they called murder ballads. So people were literally writing about murder and, um, you know, singing it on the streets. And, and I, um, and I, I was just always really interested in this and, you know, I was studying these texts and, you know, I was reading a lot about, you know, what historians said about these texts and, and, you know, analyzing them and, um, <laughs> you know, coming up with this sort of half-baked thesis around, 
you know, gender patterns. Um, but it was interesting. Like men were yeah. using, you know, the tools of the trade, like, you know, yeah. shovels and like the women were using the tools of the home, like poison and pushing people into the fire and, you know, that kind of thing, scalding them with lie. Um, and, you know, you, you know, I was studying that, but however, um, there was this one theme I saw over and over. It was repeated and, you know, sort of this motif. And it was about a young woman who had been found strangled or stabbed and in her pocket, they would, they would find her, this woman in, the, in her pocket, which is really a purse, not a pocket pocket. And it, they would find this note and it would say something like, dear sweetheart, meet me at this secluded glen at midnight. Don't tell anybody your sweetheart. And it would be signed, you know, like uh, Q or P or, you know, OJ, I always like the joke. Um, and, and the community would find this, and this is the real thing. Like the community would find this woman, they'd find this note. They'd say, hey, we know who that is. We know who that guy is. They'd go round him up. There was no police force at the time, so the community did the policing. And they basically said, they throw this guy in, in like these terrible jails, like Nougat Prison, and he'd languish there for a while. He'd be brought to trial, and very often he would be found guilty and then hanged. And so for me, it was always this question, like, you know, was the man framed? Did this woman know him? Like, how did this happen? So there started to be this basic story that started to emerge for me um, that actually ended up becoming my first novel, which I was like sort of this question. It didn't come out as easily as that, but it was this question. And I did go and study um, in some archives when I, I went to London and I did not do a study abroad. I did a work abroad. So I I got to serve on the uh, the Golden Hind ship, which was a museum replica of Sir Francis Drake's ship that circumnavigated the globe. And, you know, but it was dry docked in the Thames. And so, uh, you know, during the week, I was a living history specialist, um, you know, and then on the on the weekends, I was a pirate, you know, doing pirate parties. And, <laughs> you know, it was. And so, but, you know, once a week I had to sleep, uh, had to, you know, it was really awesome. I got to do what we call sleep um, uh, ship watch. And so once a week I had to stay in the captain's cabin all by myself, which is a little scary, but it was, um, in, uh, across the, it was right on the Thames and was across from, um, you could see St. Paul's cathedral gleaming and then the, mm -hmm. the monument to the great fire of London. Mm -hmm. And it was very close to, uh, where Shakespeare's, um, where the globe theater is, uh, or is now, you know, it is, um, you know, some of the anchor pub. And so, for me, it was like I was just there, you know, and I, I was originally I started going to set my books a little earlier, like in the 1640s. But then when I started actually studying, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but I, a few decades later in time, I, I ended up moving my books to that time as well, 1660s. Um, so I was really interested in the time with the Great Fire and the Great and the Plague, and that was all during what they called the, the Devil's Years, you know, so 1666, 666. Um, and so I really liked that. <laughs> so that's where I was starting. At. But I was like imbued with some of the stuff, and I started writing. So I started writing the, this first book um, when I was there in London. I mean, I was doing my research, and at this point, I had actually switched out of murder. They wouldn't let me study murder for my PhD anymore. So I had to. I was studying Quakers, Quaker women, and how they express themselves politically. And uh, but I, but I was always kind of writing li little bits on the side of my novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the murder thesis sounds fascinating. Um, Fascinating. Uh, and I love that that's what was <laughs> spurring you on. I always love it when people well, you can take, relate, right? 
<laughs> yeah, interest and they make it into a thesis. Like, all right, here's what we're going to do. But yeah, I find that fascinating. And this period of time, as you described it, is is really interesting and you lived yeah. it. But it's also writing about that long ago and that mm-hmm. period of time and trying to I, I marvel at, at historical <laughs> novelists <laughs> because of the facts you need to yeah. get right. Oh, you yeah. can fill in yeah. gaps, but you need it needs to be credibly filling them in. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it was not easy. I mean, I was definitely, when I did finally think, oh, I'm, I'm going to write a book, and I can tell you how that happened, um, I... I did say, oh, I'm going to write, I'm going to be so accurate. Because, you know, as a historian, like, you know, and by, by this point, I was an assistant professor of history. And I was like, I really need to, like, do this well. Like, so I won't lose my credibility also as a historian. So right. I was like, it's going to be the most, like, historically accurate piece you could ever write. And and then, you know, I got through, like, one page of it. And it was actually really difficult because yeah. it would have been, like, writing, like, Shakespeare. I mean, not so much unrhymed iambic pentameter, but more like, the language, like even modern British people don't necessarily know this language of Shakespeare and it would have been inaccessible. Um, so I realized, okay, I have to like temper my expectations and my enthusiasm. And so I'm going to actually, um, write not so much modern, but I'm going to try to like, just more like sprinkle in things. Although, yeah, I tried to be as, you know, accurate as I could with, with the, with what I knew about. And I, I studied, you know, I was like gender and I studied the everyday, everyday lives of people. So I was, I was not studying like Kings and Queens and right. you know, nobles. It just wasn't interesting to me. So I, but I often knew like these broad trends, like religion and, or, you know, death rituals. <laughs> like I knew yeah. a lot about like marriage or just like these big social trends. It was actually harder. Cause I had to go back and like learn all these little details. Like what would they actually have made soup with or what did, how did they cook? Yeah. Or how did they, make, make, um, soap, you know, so I had to, that actually took me longer to, to kind of research some of that. So I enjoyed it. (laughs) So so you're at this point in your life where you're, um, you're researching (laughs) homicide for a while, and then you're studying history, um, sort from homicide to Quakers is quite the leap, but that's a different conversation. (laughs) Um, and so you, you decide you want to write a book, a, a fiction book. How did you, build up those, that craft and, and, yeah. you know, those, those muscles, which are very different. Yeah. Well, you know, essentially I always say like, so I, you know, so during this time, um, after I was, I, I was in London, had that idea. Um, I, you know, I finished my PhD, started as an assistant professor, got married, had my first child, second child. Um, but the whole time I was just like writing little scenes of my book, just here and there, da, 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 write a scene of my book, da, 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 da. I'm going to write a little bit more, write a little bit more. And then, um, sadly, my, my younger son was two, he broke his leg and it was a really terrible break. <laughs> it was awful. So like, he couldn't go like to daycare. Um, and I, I was home a lot. So I ended up, um, sitting with, and he's fine now. I always like, he's fine now he's on track team. He does great. <laughs> um, but he, I would sit there with like these Thomas trains or Legos with my left hand. And I was literally finishing my book with my right hand and just like finishing it. And then I said, and I always say to people, this is like the only secret I ever really kept from my husband. But, you know, I was like, I told him, I was like, 
for the last 10 years, I've been working on a book. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> I never told anybody because I didn't want people always right. saying, so how's that book going? Right. How's that book? What's happening with the book? He's like, oh, I, just, I didn't want that pressure on myself. Yep. So I didn't tell anybody. And so yeah. he was great. He just said, well, you know what? Like, it wasn't like he was giving me permission to go to a coffee shop. But, you know, when you have, you know, your partnership and you have children, you have to say, okay, well, yeah. you can go do this thing that's not work related and I'll watch, you know, and you kind of negotiate. So I started going to coffee shops and actually the, the Barnes, a book, a bookstore down the street from me, not Barnes and Noble, but Borders. Um, and I started just kind of, that's when I said, I should probably study how people write books. <laughs> and so I yeah. went to the bookstore. I wasn't buying the books sadly back then. Um, I did buy a few. Not to say, I, but I started. It's like how? What? How do you structure a book? <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's like a three-part structure. Oh, so interesting. So I started studying all these books, and I started thinking like, okay, I see now. I should be thinking about like motivation and scenes and setting and dialogue. So I actually just sort of applied like all of these things. I was just reading, and I was like, I was just going back and kind of analyzing my own work, I guess. Um, you know, because by this point I had written academically a lot, so I was used mm -hmm. to sort of self-editing. So it wasn't, I didn't find it painful or I just started saying, oh, like this scene has no purpose. <laughs> there is no, there's no conflict. So I actually started just kind of going back and just kind of rewriting myself. Um, and then I, I finally started to have this thing of a book and with great nervousness, I asked my husband to read it, um, and he was the first person to read it. And then I asked a few other people um, to read it, and uh, you know, and then that's where it started to to turn into a book. But <laughs> you know, yeah. And I did have this one friend of mine, Franny, and now of course, unfortunately, I've forgotten her last name. She writes children's books. She was like one of the only people I knew who, because that was one of the things I read in the book is try to meet other people who write novels. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that's a good idea. Um, because I only knew people who had written academically. I didn't know really anybody. Um, and so Franny said, you know, I said, oh, do you mind reading? And now I realize what an incredible gift of time. She read this book and gave me incredible notes. She talked about the spine of my story. And I was like, what's the spine? I had to go look that up. You know, and she, she gave me great, great feedback. And, and that really helped me like, okay, I have to keep working on this. Because I kind of knew it wasn't in any good shape at that point, like good enough right. to like send out. Um, but then I did realize um, I had one other friend from that I, that I knew had written a book, in fact, in crime fiction from my college days when I, were, when I wrote, when I was at my college, my friend Dwayne Swarzynski, who is um, another author in our writing yeah. group, uh, <laughs> writing community. Um, I reached back out to him and I said, Dwayne, you have written a few novels now. Um, do you have any um, thoughts about how I might be able to move forward with this? And could you read it? And he's like, Oh, I don't really have time to read it. But he's like, I can, I can give you the names of a few, um, you know, agents that you might be able to pitch to. And I can tell that story if you're <laughs> interested in how it sure. became a book. No, that's, um, <laughs> that's a, that's important stories, but well, let's get to the, the agent and the publishing yeah. journey because we'll hold it there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, you had been been uh, learning, you know, you, you're an educator, but you'd also been learning for years. So do you feel like that did open you up to more willingness to sort of say, oh, I, I, I need to fix this or I need to add, you know, did you sort of have that ability to take criticism built in already? Because that's frequently for 
emerging writers, one of the hardest things is to listen to people when they give you feedback. Yeah, you know, and I I don't want to sound like I, I didn't. I'm sure there were moments where I was like, oh, I don't want to cut that. But I, I, I honestly, I don't know that I ever felt like really super personal. Like I didn't take it. I don't know. I, I, I really, it was never super hard for me to get feedback, um, to ask for feedback, to like ask for someone to read it was really hard, right. but to get the feedback, not so much. Um, but I, I did, I think I was reading so much of these books, craft books. I just, I just started like just self kind of analyzing like the, I mean, analyzing my own text, like as a text, and just kind of saying, oh, I don't think this is working or any. And it was like I was learning. So, I mean, maybe the bad thing is, is I was trying to put everything in. Because I only thought I was writing one book, by the way. I thought this is like, I'm going to write this novel. I'm going to get it out of my system. I'm going to be done. You know, I just turned in my ninth book, you know, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but I, I really honestly thought I was only writing one book. And so I didn't do much. And so I, but I was like, oh, I mean, not just like the things I mentioned about, oh, the conflict on every page, but just like. Oh, the whole things like how to how to think about you know the first five pages or how to think mm-hmm. about character arcs and story arcs and plot um, and that you know you have a scene or a counter scene. I mean, I was just like learning all these things. I'm not saying I remembered them all from my other books, by the way, because I think I I always there's these points where I always go back and relook at craft books and I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> that would be so helpful. Why didn't I think of that? But even the idea like that the character might have a, um, a like a basic need or, you know, a longing or what does she want or what is keeping her from getting what she wants. I mean, like I was learning all these things about conflict and antagonists because the other problem I had really was that I had written. I remember like those first 200 book pages of the book without realizing that I had um, actually um, not figured out who the murderer was, which apparently is common. But I was like, wait, I've written a whodunit, but I don't know whodunit. Because I, mean, I was so interested of the impact of this per- this murder on the community, like on yeah. the, the woman who found her. And I was really interested in how hard that was for the people and, and what that meant that I wasn't mm-hmm. really, and about like this character, the loss of this character, but I didn't think about, why it had happened or like who would have done this. So that was actually, um, I had to really think about that, (laughs) you know, I had to kind of go back and decide or, you know, build out the the person that ended up being the murderer, but I hadn't thought about it. Um, But so you said that over 10 years you wrote scenes and, and I'm assuming if you're playing with your son and you're writing, you're writing by hand or are you sort of typing with one hand or I was you know I mean I've written probably every book really differently and maybe that's how your experience (laughs) has been as well but I definitely that first one I was just I was just always like that you know even when I you know if I'm waiting for the bus I'd sit and I'd write it and I'd have it by hand and then I might type it up later and I was at that transition like as we're moving into computers um you know being like more like laptops and you know it wasn't as easy um so I, and they were heavy, like laptops yeah. were heavy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't bring them with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just all different. Um, so I was definitely, I still write sometimes by hand and I always make sure I have a notebook with me. Cause I, that's the worst like feeling in the world. If I don't have a pen and a notebook, like if I need it, um, as I think every writer <laughs> can basically relate to, but yeah, no, I, I type more now, but definitely back then I did do a lot of the writing by hand and, um, and rewrites by hand for sure. 
and I know that you were interested in this period of time and you'd figured out, but did the character come to you and, and sort of start building herself in your brain it, so that you could tell her story? Like, you know, how did, how did it all start coming together as a, Oh, this is cause that's 10 years of writing scenes and, and exercising um, is great. And that's a fabulous origin story, but it's also, um, you know, <laughs> building characters and living with them for 10 years and trying to figure this out. Like, how did your characters develop and show up and say, yeah, we've got a story to tell and you're going to be the person to tell it? I, you know, it's so funny because I remember people, I would sometimes read stories later of writers who would say like, oh, their characters were whispering in their ears. And I was like, mm, my characters didn't do that. Although I will say at the um, start of the pandemic, I had that happen. And I can tell you like what, I, what happened with that. Because it was a little weird for me. I was like, oh, the characters are talking to me <laughs> um, several books later. Yeah, no, I essentially, um, probably that series, I, almost every book in that first book all starts with an image. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it, it was an image that really, like, um, I mean, now I feel like it's a very cliched image, honestly. Um, and it, it ended up getting cut from my book. Um, and it was a prologue. And I, I had written this out. It was basically of that scene of how I had imagined this, um, you know, when I read, when I had kept reading the story of the young woman who'd been found, um, I had that in my mind, but then I realized later as a prologue, I've given everything away. So I cut that and that was not sad to cut by the way, but it was weird to me to cut the, the image that like started the entire story. Yeah. It didn't make it in to the book. Um, but yeah, each of my, and then the other thing, every book of those, that series is basically a question for me, like a, like a historical question that nobody knows an answer to that I'm choosing to answer. And it's not like, because I'm coming at it from an academic perspective, it's just like, I wonder, like in this case, it was, I wonder who could have been that person who killed, you know, who killed mm -hmm. this, this, who, who might've done that. And so that was an answer to that story or to that question. Um, but yeah, no, the character herself took a while to, like to emerge, um, but then she became more and more strong in my mind. And funny enough, like my husband reads all of my books and he's always like, would Lucy do that? Would Lucy say that? Would she? You know, I'm like, and not only that with my other characters too, like, I don't feel Locke would have said that. Like, oh, but so, so it's like nice almost to hear someone else see, hearing, seeing what this character is. I'm always yeah. like, yeah, it's probably true. I don't think, because, you know, I also was switching between series as I think you've done before. And, you know, you have to kind of get your mind back into the one series when you're in the other world. Um, and that's, you know, its own challenge. Yeah. But yeah, it took a while for me to have that sense of them as people, especially since mm -hmm. I wrote that first book thinking it was one and done. And that was <laughs> <laughs> how it went. <laughs> and well, let's talk about process a little bit more before yeah, we get yeah. into your publishing journey, because um, as I've, I've talked about on this podcast a lot, um, historical fiction is its own world mm -hmm. and mysteries are its own world. Historical mysteries are, are you know, cross over with both. So it's a it's a way to widen your audience. But historical fiction readers are demanding of accuracy and learning like, you know, and they'll. Yeah. You get something wrong, 
they're going to point it out to you. I mean, um, but as an academic, you were ready for that rigor. I um, am, but I, you know, I still cringe a little when I made a mistake. Ugh. Sometimes <laughs> I didn't make a mistake though. And they think it was wrong. That's the hard Right. Part. Right. That's, yeah. <laughs> Cause you don't want to, well, you know, throw the PhD <laughs> at the end of your name. Um, so tell me about your process just in general with, with writing a book. How do you, you know, I love that you start with an image, even if you're not doing it or, you know, how, how do you start either a standalone or a new, a new a book in a series or a new series? Like what, what's your process like? Yeah. I mean, I would say like over those Lucy books, so I have the seventh of those just came out and I also have that speakeasy series. And I would say that, that the way I imagined the speakeasy series was a little different from the way I did these Lucy ones. Um, but these 17th century ones, the Lucy ones, um, they start with an image or an object. Um, I'm very interested in the, like the weird everyday things of the 17th century, just really weird things <laughs> like bone jewelry or, you know, just like all kinds yeah. of weird things. And, you know, often they become interesting clues to me because, you know, we are limited writers of historical fiction by the forensics of the day um, and, and also not mm -hmm. being so obvious because, you know, we have smart readers who are really used to modern forensics and they'll say, well, somebody should have just known this or like, and it's like, well, we can't use that kind of information, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so you have to, you have to do use clues that are different. Like, um, like the verses of a song, like a popular song, or like I do my, my character was a chambermaid. She becomes a printer's apprentice. So I have a lot, a lot with those ballads and broadsides and, you know, like what kind of clues might be in those or like, how can you find evidence um, but also things like, you know, there is like, it's not quite the dropped handkerchief of, you know, um, you know, Agatha Christie, but I mean, there was ones where I'd have like a monogram or the artisan's craft mm -hmm. signature or, you know, some sort of mark. So you have to use like what's, what would have been reasonably available, um, and that people could mm -hmm. know about for a sleuth to even be able to connect clues together because they're not going to have. Like, I mean, they knew stuff about like what happened when a body was moved. And of course I have a physician in the book who can say, cause they studied that. So they know the body, you know, we're always so gross, right? Like the, the blood pulled differently when they got moved across the room. Like they would have known those kinds of things. Um, but you can't talk about fingerprints or hair samples. Right, <laughs> so I had right. to like, but you could talk about a long black hair. I mean, someone could still say that as evidence, you know? Um, so I had to, so I, so anyway, the objects were almost always, what intrigued me and like, how can I build a story around this interesting object? Like a little, a necklace that has two sides, like of a, one with a skin, a, a skeleton's face and the other one with a, like a pretty girl's face. And it's like, and those are real pieces. These are like in museums. And I'm like, who, who created this weird thing? Right. So, right. so that's how the clues, like they, the, the objects kind of inspire the way I think about the plot or the clues. And so you find this fabulous object or this bit of information and you're like, okay, this is, this is where we're starting. Do you plot? Do you, are you a pantser? Are you hybrid? I've, it's like over the years, I guess I, I'm like, I'm like, maybe I'm a puff pantser and everybody always gets mad. So I would not be allowed in either guild, um, <laughs> you know, using my medieval structure. Um, I, you know, so I definitely, um, pantsed my way through the first book for sure. I was like, ah, you know, like I, I wrote like, I wrote like, you know, the middle of the book before I wrote the beginning of the book, you know, like that kind of thing. So I was like, sure. And, you know, writing, you know, scenes over 10 years usually is not much of a plotter, I think. Um, 
but I, you know, but then I started realizing like, because I had struggled so much with not who, knowing who my murderer was, I started realizing I need to know like three, it took me like two or three books to realize this. Like I, I, I even said book two, I was still like, you know, what do I do here? Like book three, hmm, a little better. You know, by book four, I was like, okay, major things. I need to know who did it, <laughs> why they did it, and why should my character care about this death? And those are like my, so, and I would like usually scratch that out on a, like a half piece of paper. So I'm like, see, I have a plot. <laughs> that's why I'm like, I'm pretty sure plotters would say that's not a plot, but you know, pantsers are like, no. what? You already know the ending. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> but I do find, and then, but I am working on a standalone right now. And it has two timelines, which is super challenging for me. It's the most challenging yeah. thing I've ever done. And so I kind of had to plot that out because I could not make sense of it. I couldn't, I didn't want to live in this world of overwhelm. So I, I was like, okay, did the plotters win? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Do you plot or are you pantser? <laughs> I plot um, and I need to plot. Um, but I, I, I think all plotters pants at some point and all pantsers plot at some that's, point. So I it's just what right. you, what you're comfortable with. Um, and I just find it fascinating how people write books. And I mm -hmm. love having these conversations because, um, you know, I've met multi-published authors on this podcast who write in word out of order. And mm -hmm. I just marvel at that. I think like, I can't even imagine. Um, but that's also um, that's also my my plotter heart and also my Scrivener uh, bias. But well, you hear um, like Jeffrey Deaver. I think is he the one that writes like eighty page outlines? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like that's the outline. I, I know, I know. And, and I'm I, a word. I mean, I'm a word count counter. Like I'm I'm a very spare writer, so I'm always like I'm like. <laughs> trying to get my way to the word count, you know. So I will we'll count the outline as words, um, even though I don't know if you're supposed to. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you, uh, it's just, there's no right way to write, right? That's right. And, That's and right. I also love when I hear you say that you, you're evolving and you're changing and you're growing and you're challenging yourself as a writer and that, you know, your original series you may write different, but you speak easy series, you write differently and a standalone still differently because you need to, and because you're, mm -hmm. you're figuring things out. Yeah. With I mean, I feel like I definitely feel like, you know, the books, I, the, the Lucy book is fine. I mean, in some ways I started it when I was 25 and she, you know, my character was 18, you know, 19. Um, and she's, my character is maybe 24 now, 25. Um, and I'm not, <laughs> you know, so I mean, I, you know, it's not like I can't relate to her anymore. I still, I feel, I feel very, I feel she's still a part of me as is my other character, but I think there's something about, um, I'm like, well, I maybe want to try like a little bit more mature or like, I want to write a more, a different kind of story in some mm -hmm. ways too. That's just different. It's not that I don't love my other ones. It's just, I'm in a different place now too. Yeah. Um, I do like to challenge myself. I mean, I do write occasional short stories. I'm not very good at it, but I do that to challenge myself because every one of them has been hard for me in different ways. And to people who are really used to being innovative, this would not sound innovative at all, but like I wrote some of them in first person or I wrote some of them yeah. in like, you know, um, present tense instead of past tense. I mean, it's like, or whatever, but I'm like the that's different for me than writing yeah. like, you know, past tense, 
um, in a very chronological way, you know, that kind of thing. So it's experimental for me. It's not for the, yeah. in the world, but well, I, I think, challenging is good. I feel like it helps me, you know, yeah, and short stories are fascinating because I think for so many, they are hard to write. Some people, they're, they, they're not as hard for them. Um, yeah, like our friend Barb Goffman or Art Taylor, they can just write, right. they, they can write. Just write millions of them and, and fabulous, fantastic ones. Fabulous, fantastic that. short stories. Um, and there's some people who can do both, you know, I mean, we, we, we know folks who do that, but um, it is a different skill set. And I think that that's another thing that writers can, if, if a novel is daunting you, maybe, you know, write a short story first with the characters just to get to know them is another way of doing it. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I mean, it was very hard for me to write that book. So I, but like my next ones, I, I kept it like manageable. Like that's why I, I, like I, I, I knew for myself, I need only, it's going to be one perspective. I have one character. It's what she can see and smell and taste and eavesdrop. And, you know, it, it was, it was a way to manage and get the story done. So yeah. that's how I kind of, I think that's how I'm, I don't want to say I'm an efficient writer because that sounds like, but it's just like, I know, I knew what I could manage, <laughs> you know, right. and I wasn't, I wasn't overwhelming, but now I'm like, okay, I can push myself a little more. <laughs> it's also life cycles. I mean, when you're working, you've got small kids and you're, you know, you've got balancing a lot. It's, it's, you, you've got a different amount of mental space you can give to this and you know in different life cycles you might okay I can let me try two timelines now with your dual timelines are you writing one timeline first and the second timeline or are you writing them as they go in the book <laughs> I think pretty much writing it the most complicated way you can do it because actually I've had people actually like uh, have said oh just write like both stories out and I was like no it doesn't like it doesn't really work that way for me because I want to, because I don't want to just, because I feel like we just give things away if I just tell them chronologically, because I think I would just give it away. So it is a little more jagged and the, the, you know, and I have to really think through the transition from the, because the current timeline is the main one. And I didn't want to just do it as flashbacks because that was the other thing. And then I wanted it to be its own line, but how those points of intersection happen, I feel like wasn't mm -hmm. really chronological. So yeah, it was, it's challenging. I mean, it's like when you see a good movie or a TV show and they're transitioning back and forth between scenes, um, between characters. I think people who write more than one perspective have to think about this a lot too. But I was like, I have to really think about my transitions here. So that yeah. it's not jarring to the right. reader. Right. And, I, and nobody's read it yet. So I have no idea how well I've done, <laughs> but it's almost done. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, that's exciting. And is it a mystery? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah. And it's set, it is historical also set in 1935 and has to do with, um, this is all I'll say, but just the invention of the lie detector. I was just really fascinated by that, which happened in 1924, Stanford by like a high school drop, a high, not dropout, but he was like in high school and like this cop turned um, psychology professor in the 20s. And they invented this, like this polygraph machine and how they wow. used, it, especially the kid in high, the guy in high school was literally bringing it around to like test his friends on who liked each other. And, and you know, and this, and then, but then it evolves into this very serious thing that is used, you know, for, for actual, like, you know, wow. lawsuits and cases and trials. Yeah. And anyway, so it's just, to me, it's like an interesting juxtaposition of what would happen if you're sort of caught in this, um, this world. Yeah. 
like that's challenging. <laughs> yeah, but fascinating. I didn't realize it was so uh, long ago that it yeah. was invented. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it came to Chicago in 1935, which is, or in, in 30s, early 30s. Um, and I was just very interested in like how this happened. And because my other books, um, the, the ones set in Chicago, um, I had picked those because uh, the, because Northwestern, where I had worked, had the, the sort of the part of the first forensics um, center, like a criminology lab in the country, started in 1929 after the St. Valentine's Day massacre, and and it was anyway. So we had the archives, and <laughs> you know, so, so the 20s are um, that's how you settled on writing about the 20s. Yeah. yeah, I said that, and that one I picked by the year because the 1929 being um, well in Chicago, you know, you have St. Valentine's Day massacre, but then uh, it's the last year before the stock market crash, so the, I had a few books. I, w- I wish I could write more in that series. A few books before the, the great crash of October 29. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully some, some after, but yeah, yeah, that one I was like, Oh, well actually my, both series, I picked the date. I picked the date in a very specific way. Like I wanted my 17th century ones and wanted it to be set during the plague. Um, and, and then the great fire of London, yeah. because that is a very pivotal year. And it's a time when women could, you know, it's like after world war two, where all these women, um, or in World War One, women suddenly had job opportunities because you know men had either been incapacitated or killed in the war, and there was a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing happened for women in the in the 1660s. Like all of a sudden, like she could become a printer's apprentice, and she could you know do these things, and she didn't have to have the same structures. So I I picked that very specifically as a women's historian, like to give her some agency. Um, yeah. So. Fascinating. Fascinating. What was the best piece of writing advice you got, you know, as you were learning how to do this? And what's the worst piece of writing advice you've got? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the piece, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but I actually think that conflict on every page. And I, it took me a while to sort of grasp that, but that you can have, you know, both the the, um, the conflict of, you know, two elbows touching on a um, shared airport seat and like the conflict there <laughs> or, you know, where the needling that can happen between, a, you know, a, a mother and child when they're waiting for someone to come home, you know, whatever to, uh, about conflict and, you know, fights and, you know, that. Kind of, and I feel like having t- characters that aren't just like, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I mean, it really helped make sure like my scenes were more concise. My dialogue was more concise and, you know, the tension was, was built up. Um, so I thought that was, um, you know, good, good advice. I don't know if that I got, I mean, and I'm thinking about what I might've gotten personally, but I would say like the worst advice is when people, I mean, it's more like the how to write. I, I, it's hard for me when people are like, write every day, um, you know, sit in the chair and don't get up, stare at the blank page. And I was like, I have a day job and two children. <laughs> like, I can't do that. Um, right. And I always feel like that's imposing something on people. It probably is a good idea to revisit your manuscript, um, you know, pretty regularly, because that's often really horrible later to like, sit there and be like, huh, I don't know what I'm doing here. And <laughs> that's not a good feeling. What I was thinking but I think about. people sometimes make people feel kind of bad about if they're not writing all the time. And I always think like, you know what? It's just about managing on your own pace um, and having a goal, but not like being told how to do it. And the crime genre obviously is how you start and how you, you've, um, you've, kept going and, and, uh, you know, do you, do you see yourself writing in other genres ever or are you, you 
pretty much enjoying exploring this one. I, I really like it. I mean, one thing I will say that the other reason I realized like, oh, I can do this or like, you know, who writes books? That's other people. Um, was years ago when I was sort of still having this idea, I, um, my mother always read a lot of historical mysteries and she gave me um, some books by Anne Perry and then also Charles Todd. Um, and I did get a chance to tell um, Carolyn this um, a while back, but, um, and I was like, wait, what? Like people write like historical mysteries. Like that's a yeah. thing. I mean, that was really eye opening. I was like, I can, that was why I was like, I can turn these musings into like a book. And that's why I was writing like secretly all those years. Yeah. I, but I didn't even know that was a genre really. Cause I had read Agatha Christie, but I hadn't read what we call historical mysteries. Yeah. You know? I was like, yeah. ah, that's a thing. I can do that too. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah. Um, but I lost track of what your actual question was. I'm sorry. No <laughs> mysteries. And if if you if you ever think you're going to go to another genre, or are you uh, you know still exploring this one, are you going to stay in historical? Or are you going to write? I, you know, I did write a YA, a young adult um, that was also a historical mystery. But I did, and I, I really enjoyed writing it, and I got good feedback. But I, it hasn't really gone out yet. Um, and I asked my agent to pitch it at some point. Um, I, I I I would be interested in other like YA maybe. Um, but I do think that I do better with historical because mm-hmm. I had, I did try my hand at contemporary and I couldn't do it. I was like, I can't, I feel like the things that I love writing about historical, like letting, like letting people know about the interesting things of the day or the interesting objects that I mentioned, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist now. People know that stuff or <laughs> it's, or it sounds snarky if I'm describing like it, what I think are interesting things. So I can't, I couldn't make it work. So yeah. I, I don't have, I think I'm probably going to be entrenched in historical for a while. Um, and, and probably still in the mystery because that's just fun for me, um, to think about and get all through. And, you know, you have expertise in the, um, uh, 17th century. You have ex, you know, and the, and you learned about the twenties as you're, mm-hmm. you're, do you think you're going to keep exploring other periods or, you know, I mean, cause that's quite the difference yeah. there. Um, and Chicago is an amazing place to sort of with an amazing history to, to yeah. build on. But, you know, do you ever think, Oh, it might be fun to write a 1872 book and you know whatever yeah you know it is i mean that's partly why i was like well i'm doing now in 1930s which is totally different from 1920s like i know like you know well it's just funny because i know it probably doesn't always feel like that um i i you know a lot of people especially like my historian friends they were like what why are you writing about 1920s like you know and i actually have taught like american history and so but it was it was it was just because I live now in Chicago and it was just mm-hmm. easier like to have access to the, um, like, you know, I can walk around literally, I can try things and there's stuff still here. It's the twenties. Um, so it's, it was, it's actually really nice to feel like I can write about an era that's close to me in a way that's a context that's familiar now. And the twenties, as you can imagine, are still very lived in Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a thing here and I mean, and I grew up in Philadelphia. It's not like they didn't have prohibition, um, you know, and all kinds of like speakeasies and mobster stuff and all that stuff in the 20s in Philadelphia. But Philadelphia, it's just all about like, you know, like the Constitution and the Liberty Bell. Right. And so it, the 20s in Chicago really is like still a very lived thing. And what I find fascinating is when I used to do book talks and I would just bring up any that I was going to be writing these books, everybody had a story. Everybody's like, 
oh yeah, my great-grandfather used to play the violin at Capone's favorite restaurant. Or, you know, they all had a story. Oh, my grandmother was a bootlegger and she worked out on, you know, whatever. I mean, it's like everybody here who's lived had a few generations in Chicago has a story about prohibition. So I was like, yeah. so I was just writing all these down. <laughs> you know, it's like, fascinating. Well, it's such a fascinating period of history too, because it's hard to believe we did that. And it's hard to believe how, how it messed things up for so long. I mean, to this day in so many ways, right? I mean, organized crime built up and, you know, we, we were great at making cocktails before prohibition. We lost that. And, you know, that's sort of coming back, but, um, but it's a, it's a fascinating thing to think about what we did to ourselves at that point in time. Well, and also for me, it was, I, I did pick that time period too, because of it was interesting, like the same tensions that were happening in Europe were happening like in this, yeah. the cities. And so it was, it was really interesting. It was interwar period, but it was like, there was a lot of tensions between different groups. And so I was really interested in like what, what was happening socially and culturally. And again, with, you know, what were women doing, um, yeah. you know, what were they allowed to do, et cetera. Yeah. Fascinating. Really fascinating. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> you talked about what you are, uh, you know, working on now, which sounds exciting. Um, and, you know, do you, I find, feel like writers, uh, we keep building our crafts and we keep um, aspiring. Now, it sounds like you're already challenging, you're challenging yourself with this dual timeline, but are there sort of books that you're thinking about or characters that you're thinking about that's, that are sort of in the I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to do this or, or do you, you know, how far ahead do you think about all your projects and what you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I just finished Lucy book seven, which is coming out in June, um, Death Among the Ruins. And I mean, nobody said that it's my last book, but I wrote it as if it was my last book in the series and I didn't get another, con- nobody's told me anything. So right. I might be done that series. I might not be, you know, who knows? Um, I, so I'm kind of in, it's been, it's been a good thing. And, you know, this other book that I'm working on is not under contract. So I'll have my agent pitch that when it's ready. <clears throat> and then, but, you know, I am always thinking about the next book. I probably don't, do not do enough marketing, quite frankly. Um, I'm really terrible at marketing and that probably shows. Um, but I, um, I'm, I'm more interested in the writing part. And so I am, there was a series, another series that I'm going to try to pitch, um, and, uh, but then I was like, oh, I probably have to actually write the book before I pitch the series. I mean, you never know. But, well, like, you never know, right? You I, never mean, know. That's what I, I mean, because I did, I mean, not, you know, how it goes sometimes I, I was able to get another series without having written the full book. Um, so right. I was like, oh, okay. So because once you're a little more established, you can get away with some of that a little bit, which is, yeah. nice. um, so and I'm you can write do. a proposal for folks who are listening. I mean, certain certain types of books lend themselves to this more. Cozies definitely lend themselves to this more, and but think- historicals do too. But, you know, you write three chapters, you sort of outline the characters, what would happen in three different books and some other things. And, and sometimes you can get a contract based yeah, on and the Yeah, and I think like... I think for, they might look and they might say, you know, someone like myself who's written nine books, you know, and, and published online time and, you know, those kinds of things, they'll say yeah. like, okay, she, she, 
we we can trust that she knows how to like write up a, a, a you know a book or whatever and so i think that's where you start to get a little more uh hopefully some trust in the industry after, after yeah. a while but not you know i'm 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 still expecting to have to write the whole book you know at some point um, yeah did you we were going to talk about um you know your publishing journey and the and getting an agent so so just what you know you've written this book you're you're working on it, you're getting it shaped up, you're, you're learning, you're doing things. Talk to me about pitching that first book. Yeah. So, um, so I did end up, um, you know, I was, I had, I started, I read a lot about queries and, you know, this was a long time ago now, but I was like, okay, how do we write a query letter? So I was studying those books and I was doing my best. Um, query writing is still, I think one of the hardest challenges to like, you know, to do. I, I think that's very hard. Um, I, was sending it out and I, um, I, you know, I was getting rejections and, you know, it was, it was, it was hard. And, um, I, oh, so yeah. So one of the, so I had mentioned that I had my friend Wayne, um, and I wrote to him and he said, he didn't have time to read the book, but he'd give me the name of two agents. And, um, and so, and, you know, sometimes it's helpful if you have somebody who can at least open the door and you they can right. put your, you can put your, that friend's name on the email and say like, you know, recommendation from this friend or, you know, or something, and that can maybe get you in. Um, and so I, I ended up um, emailing um, the two agents. One of them was um, David Hale-Smith. Um, and David read, or David gave me, he came, he, he basically, he asked, he had asked for a few pages, um, but then he rejected the book. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but he, he wrote me a very nice note and said that if anything ever changed, um, you know, to like the door is not closed and, you know, to email them again, you know, and I was like, okay. Um, and the other agent gave me really nice feedback, um, and really excellent feedback. And I still think about how great, oh, that was good feedback. She gave, she basically said the writing was a bit episodic. Um, so I was writing like the character was if, as if she was doing these different things and they were just sort of connected together. So I, I thought that was excellent feedback and I ended up changing and smoothing out a bunch of stuff. Um, and so, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to, this is, I mean, I sent out a few more, I got a few more rejections. And I said to my husband, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to work on something else now. Maybe this book goes in the, in the right. file drawer. You know, I, I can't keep writing this. So I'm going to work on something different. I'm going to write a book set in 1930 Chicago. And, and I wanted to set it on a college campus because I was teaching a class on the history of higher education at the time. And I was like, okay, well, I know some research about this. And, um, and so I, basically wrote this other book. Um, and, but we were coming back from vacation one day. So it was like nine months later and coming back from vacation. I was like, you know what? That first book wasn't so bad. I worked on that for 10 years. Maybe I should just clean it up, write it again. You know, maybe my query needs to be fixed. I'm not going to just abandon it. And my husband said, well, actually I've been querying for you on your behalf. And I was like, what? Like sending out my query. Um, and so he's like, can you have, it's out with, it's, there's a couple full requests and, um, and you know, it's, it's, they're waiting on some things. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, so I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea. And, um, and then like, you know, like two days later, I did get a request from a, a, a reputable place. Um, and they said, we'd like to offer you a two book deal. And I was like, wow. What? And then I was panicked because I was like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I need an agent. So then I was able to send David an email um, and just say, because he had said, if anything ever changes, you know, um, right. let me know. And so I said, like, you know, half hour later, 
um, he emails me like, tell me what this is. Because <laughs> like, I had said something like, you know, two book deal in hand. Can you represent me? And then he called me. Um, yeah. And then he was able to kind of do some stuff and then got me this current tra- contract. And, or the, and it was for a two book deal. And I was like, two books. Like, what do I even do? I only have one book. And that's when I started learning about like, well, you just sort of pitch the second one. Right. Um, so anyway, that was it was just, yeah, I mean, it was just more the persistence, but I was always kind of amazed that my husband was doing that and didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> but it was my query. I always want to say, like, he wasn't, like, misre- misrepresenting himself or, you know. No, was, he, he sounds like an amazingly supportive partner. <laughs> yeah, he's very, he's very supportive. Yeah, I always yeah. want to give him credit for that. Yeah. Especially if he's saying, "Oh, would your character do that?" Like he, he yeah, yeah, he's, he's oh yeah, he's very good. I mean, I'll I'll even ask him like, well, the other he says he's a psychologist, a cognitive psychologist. So uh-huh. I have him explain to me like all these things because one of the things that he helped me understand is like that first book or any of my books I've rewritten multiple times where I took out characters or took out scenes, and I can remember a lot of all the other things. So I don't always have the through line of what actually happened in that first right. book. And, right. you know, and he has a, t- and now I've forgotten, but he has a term for that. <laughs> you know, so, Like there's some psychology term for anything you ever need to know. He, he has a term for it. Um, but it's weird because like my, one of my characters, um, I just, I had a scene with her mother and Lucy has a mother in, in my first book, but then I cut this scene out and I realized later, like reviewers were saying, oh, the orphan Lucy, blah, 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 blah. I was like, she's not an orphan. She has a mother. And and Matt, that's my husband. He said, well, you cut her out of the book. They're going to assume she's an orphan. I was like, oh, okay. So it was really weird to me, but because in my mind, she's not an orphan at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I mean, but we only remember, yeah, there's some term for it, but we, because I can only remember, I, can, I have multiple endings, multiple memories of my book. Um, and then, but the reader only has the one that's the published that's version, yeah. which is, yeah. I mean, maybe you've experienced that too. <laughs> well, it's so interesting when I go to author talks and I, I feel like I know the, you know, book or I know the characters and then they explain some backstory that they cut, but that they still know yep. so that they're they're That's what informs the character. I'm like, that makes sense. But now I have to rethink this whole thing. I know, I know. Yeah. it's so weird. Or, you know, uh, you know, just even people ask you about like, so can you tell me about like in book two? And I'm like, don't ask me about book two. Cause I really do not remember. <laughs> I don't know. Or, you know, it's like, you don't want to give spoilers. Cause it's like, I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen until book four. So I'm afraid. I'm I know. I right. know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, or if you're talking to somebody about a series and, you've read the whole series, but they're on book two. And, you know, I, I've got my sister reading the Elizabeth Peters, um, Amelia Peabody series. And so she brought something up and I'm like, I can't tell you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you need to keep reading because that works itself out um, in like six books. Um, well, this was great. I mean, as we're wrapping up, what would you, you know, as you've been writing, you're multi-published, you keep writing. I mean, the writing is the joy. The publishing is a roller coaster, and, and we all know that. Um, but, you know, what's your favorite piece of advice to give people um, to, to sort of, you know, new and aspiring writers? I mean, I guess I, I feel like find what part makes it fun for you to write and do that. <laughs> I mean, like the best you can. I mean, there's going to be moments in writing that are not very fun, but, you know, I guess try to step in and and just say like, 
you know, like, like really, or visualize, you know, like what the, what are your characters doing right now? Like, why is that fun for you to like, think about how they're doing this? Or, I mean, I had one friend that told me she picked this occupation for her sleuth and she's like, it's such a boring occupation. It's so boring. I'm bored when I write about it. And I'm like, I do not understand that. Why would you write about something that bores you? Because that is going to bore your reader. Um, pick what is fun for you. And I, I mean, I call it TV work, but like, I'll look up stuff late. Cause when my kids are watching TV or when I'm watching TV, I'll look up things later. And I'm like, so I ask myself little questions like what, what could they have been drinking at this time? Or what could a bathroom in 17th century London look like? I mean, so like, to me, it's sort of fun to look up. Um, so like try to find the things that are fun. Um, yeah. cause I think that comes out, um, or it makes you feel better when you're sitting down. Don't, I don't know when people say I force myself to sit and I never get back up. I'm like, I don't know, find something else to do and then come back to it. Cause that seems like a waste of time because <laughs> your brain will keep working. Tell your brain to get the problem solved and your brain will figure it out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you are a member of Sisters in Crime, obviously you're on the podcast, but you also are, um, have been in the Chicagoland chapter and in leadership mm-hmm. and things. What has finding that uh, community meant to your writing? Oh, it, it's meant everything. I mean, I unfortunately was not aware of, of this fantastic Sisters in Crime community before I got, you know, I mean, I really only learned about it later. Um, cause I was like, Hmm, Chicago mystery writers. And I literally typed it into Google, like what's here, who else is here. And then all of a sudden I see this thing for sisters in crime, Chicago land. And, um, and then I had met, you know, co- like friends, um, like Lori Raider day and, you know, other friends from the Chicago area. And I did eventually meet Sarah Paresky, our, you know, founder, <laughs> founding, yeah. one of our founding. Um, and I, you know, to me, it was just so important to feel connected and to like be able to commiserate about writing and talk through things about the industry. And also like just being able to meet other people and bring them into the community, I feel like is part of something I, I really enjoy doing. And, um, you know, I, I did even, I, I was the chapter president for a while, but even when I wasn't, I mean, I was always like, oh, come to this event, come with me, or, you know, now it's Zoom, like try this yeah. out. Um, Cause I feel like I one, I don't want to shut the door behind me, but I also feel like I can keep learning too. I mean, we're all learning from each other and like, as the industry changes, I think it's really important. Um, and then also just like hearing whose ideas maybe haven't been out there or have been excluded or silenced and anything I can do to help, um, you know, bring other people in. I, um, I want to do as well. And it's just a great, great organization. It is. It is. It's made a difference in a lot of lives. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate your being in leadership, chapter leadership. Folks listening to this should think about that as well, especially mm-hmm. most writers are introverts to a different degree. And it's a great way to meet people and have something to do and be of service. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for doing that. Chicagoland is a huge place and has an amazing assortment of crime writers we've had like five um chapter we've had we've had four or five chapter presidents from chicago i think so yeah yeah, sync presidents and you know of course the great sarah paretsky but laurie waiter day most Mm -hmm. recently and um and deanna fowler's on the board now and and, you know we've got um yeah new england there's there are different parts of the country that um seem to be feeder systems (laughs) into this sort of thing um Mm -hmm. but it's um it's it's a wonderful organization and all the better because 
We have really interesting members like you. And thank you for being so enthusiastic about the 17th century, which (laughs) I will confess, I would not, you know, it's contagious though. You've made me think, oh, that's really interesting. How does that work? I mean, and I I I do try to write not like a textbook, by the way. I always want to say like, people have written to me and said that they've learned a lot. And I was like, maybe I've reached more people than I ever did when I was teaching history. <laughs> you very well could. But it's um, that's a gift to be able to make people intrigued by something that they were, you know, like, okay, whatever. And also to put it in historical context. So keep going and keep helping us learn about new things. And thank you for being on the podcast. Great. Thanks so much, Julie. This was awesome. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.